Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with us to 1 Timothy chapter 2 for our time together today. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if you're here today as a guest joining us for the very first time, we welcome you and we are so thankful that you are here today. And we have been going through a series throughout really the, ma- the majority of this year so far that's focused on prayer. It's called Invited to Ask. And we've been reminded throughout our time together that God invites us. In fact, he is delighted in inviting us to come before his throne to pray, to bring anything, any concern, any burden, any matter, just for the purpose of relationship to come and to talk with God. And uh, I thought very humorously this morning as I was walking into the worship center, someone handed me a little sheet of paper that said, Pastor, I read this yesterday and it reminded me of your sermon series on prayer. I thought you might enjoy it. So I think you might enjoy it today. It simply says this, when God answers my prayers, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says, you've got to be kidding, right? And uh, I imagine last night, as many of you were watching the UVA basketball game, he was probably thinking, you've got to be kidding, as you were praying and asking God to intervene and bring a miracle. And I'm thankful that at times, God does bring about miracles and lots of grace, even in basketball, okay? And, uh, but anyway, I'm just picking this morning. As we open God's Word together today, I want us to look at prayer from a little bit different perspective than what we have been. So far, we have seen the models of Jesus. We've seen his example of how he modeled what prayer should look like in our life. We've also seen the very clear instructions as he gave various teaching and directions on how we are to pray. Over the last few weeks, we have looked in the book of Acts, and we have seen it illustrated in the life of the early church as they prayed for boldness to share the gospel. And then we saw last week that we are to pray bigger than even what we believe. And when things seem impossible, we're to look to God knowing that with him, all things are possible. For our final two messages on this series of prayer, we're going to look at some of Paul's letters. What were some of the instructions that he gave to the churches that he ministered to, and how do those apply to us today? So as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, I want to preach to you on the subject simply this, the prayer that pleases God. The prayer that pleases God. Now that may sound strange to you today to say, wait a second, you mean that that there are certain prayers that please God. Uh, Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you've never been taught that before. Maybe you're wondering, what in the world could be a specific prayer that pleases God? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there's a specific prayer that Paul instructs and encourages of young Timothy, and in doing so, he then says, this is good and acceptable to God. In fact, not only is God pleased with this, the word that's used for good in the Greek, the synonym of that is the word beautiful. It's the idea that when we pray this way to God, when we pray this prayer, and that prayer impacts our life, it is a beautiful and pleasing thing to God. I don't know about you, but when when I pray, I, I want to know that my prayers have brought God glory and honor. When I pray, I want to know that God is hearing and that God is working on my behalf, but ultimately for his glory. So what is the prayer that pleases God? 
God tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to ask you, if you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? The Bible says this beginning in verse 1. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this time together. Thank you for the freedom that we have to come to this place to read your word and, and Father, to, to let your Holy Spirit speak to us and guide us and direct us. God, I pray that in these moments together that you would, would do just that. I pray that you would speak to our innermost being and that we would be open to you. Lord, I pray that you would remove any distractions that might potentially occur. God, any areas in our life that we've built up walls that would resist hearing from you, God, I pray that you would destroy them today and speak directly to our hearts and lives. And I pray, God, that we would respond in faith and obedience. Be glorified, we pray, in this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. The prayer that pleases God. The prayer that pleases God. Every time we open God's word, I think it's very important that we understand the context of what is taking place. What is it that led us to this moment where the Apostle Paul is writing these words of encouragement and instruction? Well, we know that this, of course, this book is the letter of 1 Timothy. It's the first in a series, really, of three, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, that make up what we know today as the pastoral letters. Uh, these letters are letters that the Apostle Paul are written by writing under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he's writing to two of his young uh, ministry leaders, if you will. In this case, he's writing to young Timothy. Timothy, of course, was a young man who had, uh, who had been saved and had been forgiven of his sins. He's a young man who had been called to the ministry. In fact, the Bible tells us that Paul was in many ways uh, like a teacher, like a mentor to him, but it was even more so than that. In fact, the apostle Paul saw Timothy as like a young son in the faith. In fact, in chapter 1, he addresses Timothy as a son. Spiritually, he saw him in that capacity. And so the Apostle Paul spent much time with him. He invested in him. He ministered to Timothy. He loved Timothy. The Apostle Paul invited Timothy along on part of his missionary journeys. And so Timothy had many life experiences with the great Apostle Paul. Well, as Paul writes the letter of 1 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy because Timothy is no longer a part of the missionary journeys. He is now pastoring the church in a city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a very specific city in that culture that was positioned in a way that God was using it to be a bright light in the world at that time. But in the midst of that city of Ephesus, there were many things that were going on that Timothy could not yet see. Paul had been in Ephesus before. 
Paul had seen God do an incredible work in the city of Ephesus, and numerous times he wanted to get back to be with them, to speak to them, to minister to them, but he was hindered from doing so. But Paul still knew what was going on. Paul himself had faced persecution. Paul himself had faced the dangers of a false teaching, and Paul understood that Timothy and the church were soon to face the challenges of persecution and the challenges of false teaching in the community and even in the church. So Paul wrote to young Timothy to encourage him and to instruct him on the things ultimately that matter to God. It is in the context of him addressing the things that matter to God that we see our message today, the prayer that pleases God. So as we look, I want us to make four observations about this passage of Scripture. If you're ready to learn, would you say, I am? Four things about this important things to God. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the priority of prayer in our lives. The priority of prayer in our lives. Now we can understand this morning as Timothy is a younger pastor, surely than the Apostle Paul, he is in a new role in a new setting where he is called to serve and called to lead all at the same time. As he's doing this, we can understand he would be very receptive to the Apostle Paul's instructions. In the midst of that, he also understood that the Apostle Paul had faced some battles. He had weathered some storms. He'd gone through some situations. So he would certainly be, be, be interested to know what Paul would advise in this moment. And so as Paul begins to write, he writes about many things. He writes about the qualifications of a pastor. He writes about the qualifications of a deacon. He begins to talk about some of the ministries of the church, like evangelism and sharing the gospel. He begins to talk about ministry to the widows and the community and, and, and all those different things. He gives direct instruction about the discipline, godly discipline that a pastor should have. And so Paul instructs him in all those things. But before he got to those things, Paul said loud and clear so that there was no confusion, no debate, uh, nothing blurred, if you will, he wanted Timothy to know what was of top importance from God's perspective. Now, I imagine this morning, perhaps you're here today visiting, joining us for the very first time. If you're praying about a church home, I imagine you probably have certain things in mind that you are looking for in a church. Or some of you are in the process where God is calling you literally to a different state or a different city where you're moving to, and you will soon be going through the process of praying about a church home, and there's many things that you might look for. You might consider, well, what does their children's ministry or student ministry look like? Uh, you might be wondering, what is their music style, and what kind of instruments do they have? What translation of the Bible do they use? What are they doing with missions? How are they involved in the community? There's all sorts of things that we would look for, and I would imagine that most of those things are indeed important. But when it came to top importance, when it came to the thing that was most important to God, God led the Apostle Paul to say something very specific. He said this statement in verse 1. He said, Timothy, before I talk to you about the qualifications of a pastor and of a deacon, before we talk about evangelism and ministry to the widows, before we talk about the discipline, before we talk about all these other things of first importance, there's something that you must be and the church as a whole must be. And that is that you must be a people of prayer. Look with me at verse 1. He said, first of all. Can you say first of all? 
We know what that means, don't we? It means that this has got to be a priority. This is the first thing you've got to get right because if you miss this, everything else will fall behind as a result. First of all, entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving should be made on behalf of all men. In this verse, Paul gives us four words that ultimately all describe different aspects of prayer. In fact, in the New Testament, there are seven Greek words that you're used to describe prayer, and Paul uses four of the seven in this one verse. He says, I urge that entreaties be made. Now, entreaties is the idea of a personal request. You give an entreaty to God when you know of a specific need in your own heart and life, and you come before God and you say, God, would you meet this need? It's the idea that we're praying, give us this day our daily bread idea. It's that we're bringing our own personal request to God. And then he says, I want prayers to be made. Prayers is a general word that simply means to ask. It's the idea, it kind of covers just about everything you could pray about, but it's the idea that you're coming before God, you've identified a need, and you are specific in your request of asking whatever that is. Then it's the word petitions. This word petitions is often translated in other passages as the word intercession. It's the idea that in our prayers, we're not just praying for our needs or praying for whatever comes to mind. It's that we're looking specifically at the needs of others, that we are identifying with them. We're coming alongside them. We're joining with them, and we are interceding on their behalf. God, would you bless this individual? Would you provide for this need? Would you help them and lead them, whatever the request might be? And then finally, there are thanksgivings that are being made. And of course, thanksgivings are what they sound like. It's the idea that when we come before God in prayer, we come before God with an attitude of gratitude, that we are thankful and we give God praise for who he is. And we thank him for what he's done. We thank him for who he is. We thank him in advance for what he's going to do in response to our prayers. Paul says, first of all, there's a lot of things in the church you might do, a lot of things in your home you might do, A lot of things on your to-do list throughout your day. But the first thing he says, first of all, I urge that prayers be made on behalf of all men. Now, I'm reminded this morning that it's easy for us to understand the importance and the priority of prayer in times of circumstance. Would you agree? When we face circumstances, when we face difficulties, when things aren't going our way, when things aren't right, it's easy in those moments to say, oh, God, help me. God, would you intervene? God, would you deliver me? God, would you do this thing because I'm in an urgent, desperate situation? But I'm also reminded that it need not be a circumstance that calls us to understand the priority and the importance of prayer. We should have a heart's desire to prayer simply because we want to relate to God. I'm reminded of the illustration about how sometimes we get accustomed to circumstances alone leading us to prayer. And I'm reminded of the little boy Johnny one day. And his parents said, Johnny, get in the car. We're going to grandma's house for lunch. And man, he was excited. He ran to the car. He buckled up his seatbelt. And off they went to grandma's house. And they got to her house that afternoon. And man, she had, she had prepared a feast like grandmas sometimes do. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I mean, he looked at the table and there was fried chicken and ham and macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes and hallelujah, that sounds all good. Banana pudding for dessert. I mean, this is a gift from God. And so he, he was so excited. He sat down. He started putting stuff on his plate. I mean, before people could even be seated, he was putting stuff on his plate and he dove right in. He was stuffing his face and he was eating and he was enjoying it. And finally, his mother interrupted him. Young man, isn't there something that you are forgetting? And he said, no, ma'am. And she said, young man, aren't you supposed to pray for the food before you eat? 
And he said, no, ma'am, we don't have to pray for the food at grandma's house. And she said, what do you mean we don't have to pray for the food at grandma's house? He said, mama, we don't have to pray for the food at grandma's house because it's already good. Isn't it like us when things aren't good and things aren't as we plan and we expect? Oh, God, change it. Oh, God, deliver us. Oh, God, help us. But Paul was looking at Timothy before things got bad, before there was a circumstance, before there was a trial. And he's saying, Timothy, don't lose sight of this. Make it a priority now. Make it a matter of importance now. First of all, be a person of prayer. Lead the church to be a people of prayer. God, help us to be a people of prayer. Last week, Pastor Sean who's a dear friend of mine, came and he preached and he shared uh, briefly the illustration that many years ago, now God had called him to pastor a church that was right across the street from the church that I was currently pastoring. And, And frankly, and I will say this just very simply, the church that God called him to pastor did not have a a good name in the community. They did not treat their pastors well, and there was many challenges in their past. And in the time that I pastored the church that I was pastoring, there were many pastors that came and went over the course of those years. And God called him to pastor in that church. And one of those early days, he and I sat down for lunch, and we were talking about different things. And and I saw instantly, man, he was just burdened, and his heart was grieving. And he said, man, this is what I'm dealing with. What do you recommend? And to be honest with you, like the, 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 the fix-it of me, like Mr. Fix-It, wanted to say, well, buddy, if you do these 10 things, you're going to be great. Things are going to go awesome. But there was only one thing I felt with deep conviction I have to say. And so I told him that day, I said, I, I want to encourage you to make this a matter of prayer. And not just you, but, but, but get some men around you. Whoever the men are that you feel like are godly men, start meeting with them weekly. Begin praying together, asking God to work and asking God to move, asking God to redeem what the enemy has just completely redeemed, the time that's been lost and the things that the enemy's been doing. And trust God. And I'm, I'm so thankful that he began to do that and God began to work and move. And today, that ministry in that church is at a healthier place, as he testified, than it's ever been. To God be the glory. But can I say to you, while I have learned the importance of prayer in that process, can I also just be very honest with you to say that I've also seen the incredible, terrible consequences of what happens when prayer is not so important. I've seen what happens when you get distracted and you get busy and prayer, which was much a vibrant part of who you were, when it becomes pushed to the wayside, I've seen what can happen. In fact, I would tell you very sadly, as I think back to those 13 years of pastoring the first church that God called me to, I remember when God called us there and and I remember that first Sunday we had 53 people. And I remember that, that we were desperate for God to move, and so we began to meet on Saturday mornings. And every Saturday morning, the, the deacons and, and some of the Sunday school teachers at that time, some of the people that were recognized as key leaders, we began to meet on Saturday mornings, and we prayed. And we prayed desperately, God, would you move? God, would you draw people's hearts to yourself? God, would you bring people here? God, would you transform this community? God, would you do these things? And we prayed every Saturday. Rain or shine, it didn't matter. And guess what happened? God began to work and move. I remember that first Easter, how excited we were at lunch to realize we had almost 100 people come together to worship the Lord. And I remember as people began to be saved and lives began to be changed and the church began to grow and we went to two services and then at special occasions we went to three services and then we went through several building projects and all these different things. 
But somewhere along the way, in the midst of the busyness of ministry, all the different ministries, all the different tasks, all the different responsibilities, all the different people, all the different meetings, somewhere along the way, that Saturday morning prayer time, frankly, became something that was forgotten. Now, now we prayed together in meetings, and we prayed together still for God to move, but, but that time that we had designated as a very specific, intentional time, where it was specifically focused just on praying for God's working, and God's moving, and God's revival, and God's awakening, that time, frankly, we got busy, we got distracted, there were other things, and it got pushed further down, and further down, and further down, to finally, I remember a Saturday morning showing up, and it was me and one other person. It wasn't long after that that nobody was showing up on Saturday to pray. You know, I, I can tell you at that time of all the things that were going on and all the different distractions and all the different things, but I can tell you here in 2019, having the Lord called me away from that ministry and placed me here, I can tell you looking back at it with crystal clear uh, uh, definition, if you will, I can tell you that many of the challenges and many of the attacks that we experienced in the years that followed all came back to things that were missed during that season when prayer in that context was kind of pushed aside. For many of us, some of the struggles that we're facing in our lives, some of the challenges that we're facing in our marriages, in our homes, we're looking for all these other causes and all these different things, and the reality is, by our neglecting prayer, we've kind of pushed God out of the equation. Well, God, you work over here. God, you do this over here, but I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And what God says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, listen, I want you to know there are going to be some difficult times and there are going to be some trials, but I want you to stand strong. I want you to be firm in the faith. I've got a work to do. I'm still moving. But first of all, you must be a people of prayer. Can you imagine what God might do in your life, in your marriage, in your home, can we imagine what God might do right here at Crosslink Community Church and throughout the valley beyond if we make prayer the priority that it should be? If we pray fervently, if we pray with passion, if we pray with desperation, it's, it's easy in those difficult times. Oh God, would you do this? We are depending upon you. We have no other help and no other hope, but you, God, would you move? So often, God, so often God begins to work and move and provide, and we say, thank you, God, for the blessing. That's great. We've got it from here. God, help us even in the times of blessing, in the times of harvest, in the times of fruit, in the times of, of God's incredible generosities towards us. God, help us in these moments to still be desperate for God to move in prayer. Dr. Wilbur Chapman once told the story Dr. Wilbur Chapman was a Presbyterian evangelist and pastor in the mid, 18, mid to late 1800s. He once told the story about pastoring one of his first churches. He was a, a very young man at the time, and he began to preach at this particular church at the time. And he had been the pastor for about a month, a young guy. And finally, one day after the service, there was an older gentleman that came up to him, and he said, Mr. Chapman, you're a young pastor, and I can see that you need a lot of help. And the young pastor thought to himself, oh, great, you know. This guy's going to tell me every flaw I have. He's going to point out everything bad about my preaching or my ministry. All the guy said at the moment was, you're a young pastor, and I can tell you need help. That's great encouragement, I'm just telling you. But then he went on to say, he said, I can tell that you need help, and I want to help you. Here's what God's put on my heart to do. God's put on my heart to pray for you. 
But Mr. Chapman, with your permission, I would also like to ask a few other people that we can come together and pray for you. Every time you stand in this pulpit to preach, we want to pray for you. Would you grant that? Mr. Chapman said, absolutely, I would love to have you praying. And so literally that man went, and he, reg- he got a few other people involved, and a team of three people began to pray. Within a matter of weeks, those three people reached out to others, and they had a team of around 10 that began to pray. By the end of the year, each of them had been praying fervently for God to work and move and to demonstrate his hand in the life of that church. They began to bring other people in. By the end of that year, 200 people were praying for their pastor. Over the next three years, they saw over 1,100 people come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying to you is this. We cannot, we cannot overestimate the importance of prayer and we cannot underestimate the power of prayer. If we understand the priority that it should have in our life and the way God works and moves through it, I'm telling you, it will transform the way that we pray. For the early church, prayer was not their last resort but their first response and I believe God is calling us to be the same. God help us to be a people who seek him humbly and hungrily in prayer. As a church, prayer must not be a part in our marriages, in our homes. Prayer must not simply be a part of what we do, but at the heart of all that we do. The beautiful thing about prayer is that you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to use fancy words or King James English. You simply must be willing to talk to God and ask in faith. I wonder this morning what would happen at Crosslink if people began to come early for a worship service just to gather for the purpose of prayer, asking God to move and work in the hearts and lives of people. What would happen at Crosslink if we approached Pastor Michael and said, Pastor Michael, I'd like to be a part of this prayer team. I'd like to pray during the services for God to work and move. What would happen if we all took our responsibilities seriously and became a people of prayer? Truth is, I can't tell you all the things that God would do, but I sure would be excited to find out Because when we depend upon God in prayer, as we've seen already, we get what God only can do. We see the priority of prayer. Secondly, this morning, we see the peace that prayer brings to our lives. If you're still with me, would you say all right? We see the priority it should be that, first of all, this should be our importance. But secondly, we see the peace that prayer brings to our lives. Now, please understand this morning, I am not suggesting that our motive for praying should be that we would have peace. But this is one of the results of our praying. If we come to God and we bring our burdens and our requests and our concerns, the things that cause anxiety or worry or whatever, if we bring those things to God, there are some natural results that follow. And one of them is that we experience peace. In fact, we see that demonstrated in the use of this word in verse 2, where Paul says, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. The word that's used here for tranquil literally means the idea of being peaceable. It's the idea that literally scripture would tell us that we have a peace within us regardless of what's going on on the outside of us. So think about this peace. First and foremost, if we're praying as we ought, peace will be experienced. Peace will be experienced personally in our hearts and lives. Paul understood the key to peace. Peace is not found in us being free from our trials and circumstances, but instead, peace is found in trusting the Lord in the midst of our trials and circumstances. 
Think of it for just a moment. You can have a beautiful day around you. Everything seems perfect. The weather feels great. The flowers are blooming. And everything in life is perfect and well. And yet, even when everything outside of you is perfect and well, that does not mean in your own heart that you have peace. Many people can be outside enjoying the beautiful weather, but inwardly in their heart and mind be at torment because of the various things that are going on in their life. And in the same way, just because it might be raining and pouring and there are storms all about you in your life, that doesn't mean that inwardly you can't have peace. The reality is we can have peace that comes from God no matter what the storm or the circumstance when we look to God, when we trust him and turn our issues over to him. Last week, Pastor Sean said, listen, we need to pray bigger than what we believe, and I agree with that, but I would also add to that, but we also need to pray beyond what we see. Many times we see the storms, we see the situations, we see the burdens, we see what seems to be a dead end, we see the circumstances, and in those moments we feel overwhelmed and we want to give up and we want to give in and we want to lose hope and we look at those things and we think, man, this just seems impossible. And what God is saying, I want you to pray beyond what you see, knowing that I have a plan, knowing that I have a purpose, and I'm sovereign over all things, working them together for my glory and even for your good. Pray beyond what you see. God sees things clearly, and he sees all things. He knows the plans and the purposes that he has for your life. He knows where the dead ends will come. He knows the things that we will face. And so the reality is, is in those moments when we're facing those hardships and circumstances, instead of fearing and fretting, man, let's get on our knees before God. Let's turn them over to him and trust him and experience the peace that comes only from him. As Paul penned these words, Paul was simply, literally, I mean, just a little over a year, most scholars believe, from himself being martyred. And yet he would talk about this tranquil, and peaceful life because in his own heart and life, even when oppression and things were coming against him, he knew how to experience this peace. In fact, it would be the Apostle Paul who would talk about this peace in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Listen to these words of Scripture. Paul says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Now, there's lots of things that cause anxiety. Would you agree? Man, lots of things that cause us to worry and to be uncertain, maybe even panic along the way. Lots of things that cause us to feel those things. But Paul says, be anxious for nothing by good thoughts. No. Be anxious for nothing by pulling up your bootstraps and working real hard. No. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be overwhelmed with the anxieties and the worries and the uncertainties. No, you come before God in prayer with thanksgiving. You bring all those things to God. And what's the result? Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When our hope is fixed on God and we bring our concerns and we bring our burdens and we bring our fears and we bring our insecurities, when we bring all those things to God and we give them to him, I'm telling you, the Bible tells us he gives us a supernatural peace, a peace that comes only from him, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's why sometimes you can talk to a believer who's walking through cancer 
and they can talk to you in ways and describe a peace that will blow your mind. That's why when you talk to a believer who's suffering and struggling along the way, and by the world's perspective, we would think, oh, I bet they're really struggling, and yet they would speak words of life and words of hope and words of joy. Why? Because they've learned in their circumstance to give it over to God. They've learned to trust God, and they've experienced firsthand the peace that only he can give. Friend, I remind you, it doesn't matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through today. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Listen to this, casting all of your anxieties, casting all of your cares, casting all of your burdens on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Not a burden that you face in your life today that God doesn't want you to bring to him. Oh, but God's got bigger things in mind, but he cares for you. Oh, but, but, but God doesn't want to hear about this. He cares for you, and he invites you. Bring it to me, and in the process of that, we experience his peace. But notice next, this peace that is experienced then turns into peace that is exhibited. It is peace that is displayed. It's demonstrated in our lives. Listen to what he says. I want prayers to be made. I urge you that prayers be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and in all dignity. What is the result of experiencing God's peace in our life? What's the result of giving all of our cares and concerns to God and trusting him? Very simple. When we give those things to God, we experience his peace in our lives. And having experienced his peace in our lives, we now become peaceable with all people. Our lives are impacted by the peace of God that he gives in our lives. Now, I want to say to you this morning, very sadly, when most people think of Christians, they don't normally think of peaceful people. In fact, when many people think of Christians, unfortunately, in many contexts of our culture, we are most notably remembered for the conflicts. We're remembered for the church splits. We're remembered for the church arguments and divisions. We are noted for the things that we stand against. It seems that much of the world doesn't really know what we stand for. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, When you experience God's peace in your heart and life, it should manifest itself in the way that we live peacefully with other people, even people that we disagree with. In fact, when Paul says, for kings and all who are in authority, the king of that day was a man by the name of Nero. He was one of the most cruel, brutal tyrants of his entire day. By the time Paul writes this, Nero had personally had hundreds of Christians martyred. And yet Paul says, I want you to pray for him, and I want you to live peaceably with all men. Think of that for just a moment. When I think of this idea of praying and living peaceably, I can't help but to think of the illustration that we are seeing demonstrated in our local movie theater right now. There's a movie out called Unplanned that many of you have seen, and if you've not yet seen it, I encourage you to do so. It tells a story of a lady by the name of Abby Johnson. My wife and I, just a few weeks ago, we were driving down the road and we were listening to a podcast of her testimony and her story from her own words. In 2009, Abby Johnson was a a worker. She was employed by Planned Parenthood at a clinic in Texas. 
And in 2009, she worked at that clinic, and Abby Johnson at that time professed faith in Jesus Christ. But frankly, because of the many things that Planned Parenthood had told her, she had come to the conclusion that what she was doing was was helping these girls and helping, and, and shouldn't the love of Christ lead me to do these things? She was, uh, had some very confusing ideas and thoughts. 2009, she was working. She would go to the clinic daily doing her thing, and throughout the time of her working at Planned Parenthood, she tells in her own testimony and story that there were numerous Christian groups that were at the, that specific clinic throughout the, throughout the period of her time there in employment. Most of the time, those Christian groups were there marching and holding signs and sometimes screaming and doing all kinds of things. And unfortunately for her, as she saw those messages, she realized the message of those signs offered no hope and no help. They only offered messages of condemnation. And so in Abby's own testimony, she tells the story that it was through these marches and through these signs, it actually led her further to be convinced that what she was doing was helpful and what the Lord would have her to do. She goes to that clinic, she's working, she's working, and one day, there's a college graduate, a young man, who feels convicted about something. He's burdened to stand up for life, but he's burdened to pray, and in his burden to pray, he believes wholeheartedly that God is calling him to address this prayerfully and to address this in a more peaceable way, and so he begins to recruit ministries, and he begins to recruit people at his church, and they establish a 40-day of prayer uh, vigil, if you will, at this specific Planned Parenthood Clinic. And so they went daily to do nothing but pray. And Abby tells the testimony on this podcast is saying, sometimes they were kneeling, sometimes their hands were open, but they were just praying. They weren't marching, there were no messages of condemnation, they were just praying. Well, guess what happens when the church prays? God moves. As Abby tells the testimony, they did this day in, day out, day in and day out, and finally, towards the end of that time of prayer, she didn't know how long this was going, she was called all of a sudden into a procedure that really shook her to the core. In her testimony, she tells a story about these people praying, how it led her to have conversations with them, and she began to build a relationship with them. But at the end of this, she's brought into a room. She does this procedure that, frankly, she had never done before. And it was in the course of that procedure that she was shaken to the core, where she began to realize the realities of abortion and what it really is. And she began to understand that Planned Parenthood had completely lied to her. She tells the testimony that literally she left that day going home disgusted at the lies that she had believed. And then as she came back, guess where she came back? The next time she came back, she came back not as a worker of Planned Parenthood, but she came back to join the movement of people praying peaceably. It's a powerful story that God is using in our generation, in our day, as he's telling us and he's demonstrating to us the power of prayer. When we pray and we trust God for the impossible, God can do far beyond what we could ask, think, or even imagine. Those individuals in Texas were praying, but they were living peaceably as they did so, and God moved in an amazing way. I want you to move on for just a moment to number three. I want us to consider the pleasure that prayer in our life gives to God. Yes, we we pray, and and, and this is not necessarily the first benefit, but one of the blessings of prayer is that God brings peace into our life and enables us to live peaceably with others. But there's another side of prayer that is a result, and that result is that when we pray, it brings pleasure. It pleases God. 
Now, now think of that for just a moment. Maybe we think about prayer, about what we do, but without considering how our prayers impact God. Now, this is not a statement saying, look at what we've done, we've done this, forgot. No, it's really a statement about the grace and the goodness of God that he wants to hear from us. The scripture says it in verse three, when you pray on behalf of all men, when you pray for kings who are in authority and all who are in authority, when you pray in such a way that the peace of God manifests itself through your actions to those around you, verse three, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. In other words, God delights. God wants to hear from us. What a profound thought, isn't it? That the living God who made the heavens and the earth, he enjoys when we come to him. He enjoys when we bring our burdens and our needs. He enjoys when we come to relate to him and to share with him. The, the only way I know to illustrate that is to illustrate that for many of us here today who are parents. And I realize not that, that we're not all parents, but if you're here today and you're a parent, you understand at least a glimpse of what God is saying in this passage of Scripture. Now, I realize as we have children, we kind of relate to them in different ways at different times stages of life and development, right? When your kids are little, you're, you're often watching out for the details of their physical protection in the sense that there's just a lot of curiosities they have, and so they don't know not to stick the screwdriver into the electrical outlet. I mean, that sounds really cool, right? I mean, this is cool. Metal, hey, let's do this. As a parent, you're watching out. You're making sure there's covers on the outlets. Uh, you're, you're watching out for stuff that are on into my kids. Whenever they were getting older and learning to walk and stand up, they would pull themselves up to the end table, and whatever was on the end table would come down, right? And so we had to watch out for lamps and all sorts of flying objects that could be moved around in a room, okay? But as your kids get older, you begin to relate to them differently. Now we're working through the dynamics of, of emotions and feelings and relationships and Things that are healthy and things that are unhealthy and boundaries and all the exciting things of life. Can I tell you as a father, one of my greatest joys, and, and it's, it's probably one of the simplest moments of my day, but frankly, it's one of my greatest moments of the day. When I come home, inevitably, it's almost the same child that asks first, but this child asks nearly every day, Dad, how was your day? What happened today? And then another kid will chime in. Did you have any meetings today? Did you pray for anybody today? Dad, Dad, did you have any awkward moments in the day? That's a weird question coming from your kids. Any awkward moments? And, and then we engage in this dialogue, and we're talking about our days and things that are going on. And then they begin to share with me things that are important to them or things that happened in their life that day. And, and then they want to talk to me about things. And even when they come to me, for the, even when they're saying something to me, and I'm thinking, What's their ulterior motive? What's really behind this? As a dad, I enjoy those moments. Even when my kids come and they're asking, Dad, I've been thinking, would, would, could we do this? Could this happen? Could, would you bless me in this way? I enjoy that. Now, I don't enjoy it when they ask over and over and over and over and over, and over again. But when they come and they bring those requests and those conversations, can I just tell you, as a dad, it blesses my heart to know that my kids want to talk to me and they want to relate and they want to be in relationship and, and connect with one another. I believe in the same way God is saying, listen, when you come with your petitions and requests on behalf of all men, when you do this, God is saying, it pleases me. 
God's not too busy. He's not preoccupied. He's not distracted. He delights when we come to him and we bring those burdens, we bring those needs, we bring those concerns. He enjoys the relationship. And I remind us this morning that as a child of God, been forgiven and been saved, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, our ambition, whether we are at home or absent, is ultimately to be pleasing to him. Prayer is one of the ways that we please God. Final thing I want you to see this morning is simply this. I want you to consider the purpose that prayer clarifies in our lives. The purpose that prayer clarifies in our lives. Now think of this for just a moment. What is the context of prayers for everyone? What is the context of prayers for the kings and all who are in authority? God's not asking you to just throw up a bunch of vague prayers. Oh God, I guess be with President Trump. Oh God, please be with you know, Governor Northam, oh God, please be with, uh, you know, my neighbors a few miles down the road. Oh God, God's not calling us here to vague prayers. That's not what he's doing. I want you to notice clearly the rest of this passage, the singular, clear purpose that God is calling us to pray on behalf of all people. Verse four, who desires God, who desires All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen to this statement. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Paul says, For this reason I was appointed a preacher and an apostle as a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and truth. The purpose of our prayers is not that we're just throwing up vague prayers. Oh God, be with everybody, bless everybody, in Jesus' name, amen. God is not saying, I I want you to drop back deep and throw a long Hail Mary and hope for the best. That's not what he's saying. God is saying, here is the purpose. Here is the focus of your prayers. If you don't pray for anything else, here should be the top priority. I want you to pray that everybody, that their eyes would be open to the knowledge of truth. I want you to pray that every single person will become aware of their need for a Savior. I want you to pray that all men everywhere will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Think of that for just a moment. Paul is writing to this church. Paul himself is facing persecution. He knows that his martyrdom is likely just around the corner. And yet in this moment, he doesn't say, so guys, pray for me. God, I'm going through a hard, guys, I'm going through a hard time. Pray for me that God will deliver me and get me out of this mess. That's not what he says. No, he says, I want you to do this. The most important thing is not my physical need. The most important thing is the spiritual need of others. So I want you to pray for the king. Yeah, King Nero that's persecuted hundreds of Christians. Pray for all those who are in authority. Pray for all people everywhere. Pray that their eyes would be open to the truth of the gospel so that their souls would be saved and their lives would be changed. God, help us in our praying to see beyond the current things that we see. Yes, the physical things are real. Yes, the pain and the suffering at times is real. Yes, the cancer treatments and the storms that we face can be overwhelming. But God, help us to look beyond the temporary physical things to the eternal things that will matter forever and to pray accordingly. Because the Bible says, There is one God, and there is 
one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Much of the culture in Paul's day, and frankly, much of the culture in our day hasn't changed. We live our life busy and distracted and pursuing all these different things, and people never stop to really think about life after this. Do you know the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. Now, we, we all are experiencing the first part of that, that we are experiencing the reality of life. We are men, we are women, we are living being, breathing and moving and talking and doing today. We're alive. But this life is not going to be lived forever. One day, none of us know the time of it, the Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die. One day, I'm going to breathe my last breath. I hope it's when I'm like 200 years old or something. I've been around for a long time. But I don't know when that's going to be, and you don't know when it's going to be for you either. There's a reality of death when this physical life is gone. But there's also a reality of life after death because the Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die. And after this, there will be an after this. After this is the judgment, the Bible says. And the reality is the only way that our souls can be rescued from sin, the only way that we can experience God's grace of forgiveness and his love for us, the only way we can experience the joys of eternal life is to accept God's way to heaven. What did Paul say? There's one God and one mediator between God and men. Not many ways. Not however you want to go, not whatever deity you want to pursue. The man, Christ Jesus. There are many people who never take time to think about that. But you know, sadly, there are many who do think about it and think, you know what? I'm okay. I, I've been around church my whole life. My, my great-granddaddy I mean, he was so. I mean, he was a preacher. He was sold out for Jesus, and he did all those different things. I've been moral. I've been a Christian my whole life. No, you haven't. The Bible says in Romans three verse twenty three that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that the wages of our sin is death, separation from God for all eternity. You haven't always been a Christian, and neither have I. I was born and raised in a Christian home. But I wasn't born and raised a Christian. I became a Christian the day that I realized that I was a sinner. And that my sin deserved the consequences and the judgment of God's wrath. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again just like the Bible says. I became a Christian not because I was born into a Christian home. I became a Christian because in that day, I knew I was a sinner. I believed that Jesus could save me. And I literally cried out to God and said, God, please forgive me of my sin. I want to live my life for you. Please forgive me and change me. And that day that I believed in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and I confessed with my mouth Jesus to be the Lord of my life, that day he saved me and he changed me. Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, he knew all about God. He was very close to the things of God. But he knew something in his own heart was missing. He was really close to godly things, but he didn't have a relationship with God. So he came to Jesus one day and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. 
There must be a specific moment. There must be a specific instance where you repent of your sin, Nicodemus, and believe in me. And then he tells us, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Can I say to us this morning in a very just simple and clear way, today there are two types of people in this room. Two types. Outside of these walls, there are two types of people. Here they are. First, there are people who need to first and foremost put their faith in Jesus Christ and pray to receive him as their Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross when he died and rose again, if you've never done that, I wanna encourage you today, the very first step you need to make today is you need to pray and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, but God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Please save me. Please rescue me. God, I wanna experience your gift of eternal life. And I'm telling you this morning, if you will do that in faith, God will forgive you and save you. That's the first type of person here today. But the second type of person is this. It's the person who's already experienced that who needs to fervently be praying as the Apostle Paul instructed, praying fervently that all men would come to a knowledge and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, I want you to know I was appointed an apostle and teacher for this purpose. You may not be an apostle, you may not be a teacher this morning, but can I say to you, If you're here today and you're a child of God, I want you to know you are not where you are by accident. You are in the neighborhood you're in by God's specific purpose. You are in the place of employment that you're in by God's specific purpose. This community, this church that God has placed here, we are right here in this community for God's specific purpose. And what is that purpose? It is the purpose that all will come to know him God says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that he is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And friend, if we will recognize that, if we will believe that and accept that, it will change the way that we pray. It will clarify our purpose in prayer. Let's not just pray about the circumstance and the physical things that we face. Let's look beyond that to the eternal things that matter to God, and let's pray for God to move in such a way that he gets the glory, and draws all men to himself. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together, for the way that you speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw us to yourself in this moment, that we would be burdened to pray differently than we've ever prayed before. God, that we would pray with a fervency unlike we've ever prayed before. God, I pray that we would have a desperate hunger to see you move in our lives and through our lives. Father, to draw people to yourself. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.